Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We ask that it would rip us apart on the inside so that there could be true healing and joy and peace and all the things that come from a right relationship with you. And God, I just pray that you would powerfully speak to us through your scriptures. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, we are in the third week of our series going through the miracles of Elisha. And if you've missed it, I'm going to try to catch you up in real quick, real just like zoom you through what we've talked about so far. So first, we talked about the relationship between Elijah and Elisha. You know, they, they, Elisha came, Elijah came first and then Elisha came second. And it's kind of weird because they have similar names, but they actually mean totally different things in Hebrew. Well, we studied how Elijah was the master and Elisha was the servant. That was very important for us because it represents for us a very important lesson. Our master is who? Jesus. Jesus, if you're Spanish. Okay. We have a master. And he leads us and guides us and teaches us, and that's Jesus. And, and we are his servant, and so this all speaks of how that works. This, and, and the Holy Spirit is so amazing how he put the word of God for us. But a lot of people are like, I don't understand the Bible. I don't understand why it, it has so many weird stories. But it was put together very specifically for us to learn these things. And these are things that many teachers and pastors have dug in and, and found throughout the years. And I come along afterwards and and study how they've studied. I study it myself and I see these things and it really has blessed my heart and changed my heart. So we have this master and this servant and that's Elijah and Elisha. Then the last week we saw how Elijah was doing all these wonderful works, doing miracles, and then he was taken up to heaven miraculously in a chariot of fire. And through all that time that he was hanging out with Elisha, kind of training Elisha. They spent 10 years together, and Elisha went through all these tests. And that related to us too, because Elisha represents us, the people called to serve the Lord, called to represent God. But we don't start serving God until after Jesus, Elijah, goes to heaven. When Jesus went to heaven, he, he just left. And he left you and you and you and all of us in charge of ministering to people, of loving people, of giving them truth, of of bringing healing into their lives. And it was pretty amazing that he would trust us. And he didn't just trust us. He gave us something. Do you know what that was? Shout it out. The Holy Spirit. That's right. Say it like you mean it, Norm. Okay. The Holy Spirit. He gave us this, this supernatural power. And what did we see last week with Elisha? He asked Elijah, or Elijah asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And Elisha said, I want a double portion of what? Your spirit. Whatever you were using, Elijah, to to raise people from the dead and to do miracles and all these crazy supernatural things, I want that. I want a lot of it. I want double it. Just give it all to me. Because we saw that he was humble and faithful. We're going we're gonna to see more about that today. That's, that's the direction we're going today. So Jesus did the works when he was here on earth. He didn't have other people doing miracles. He was doing it. And then he was raised up into heaven, and he appointed men to carry on his work here while he's in heaven. And he'll come back someday, and he'll finish all that he started. 
making everything right, fixing all the wrongs, healing all the sicknesses, and putting down all the rebellion that is in the world, even as we see. So we have seen that Elijah, Elisha was made to go through these testings last week. His love, his devotion, his faithfulness, his patience, they were all tested. And this taught us last week that we are going to go through testings too. As you decide to follow Jesus, you say, oh, there's no one else in the world that can give me truth and save me from my sins, so I'm going to follow him. Well, you are going to be tested. And the secret to passing all of these tests was a close relationship to Jesus and a deep dependency on him. It was a relationship. That was the secret to passing each one of those tests. And that's what we saw last week. And today, we're going to look at the first miracle. So we actually get to a miracle. I know I've been talking about miracles for two weeks, but today we're actually going to get to the first one. And that's where we're at today. And that is Elisha crossing the Jordan. What did Elisha get to be able to do miracles? And the answer is a double portion of the Spirit. And today we're going to learn that you need a double portion of the Spirit, a second filling of the Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit more than you think you do. You need it. That's what we're going to learn today. We're going to learn today also how to get it. You need it. God's going to give it. How do you get it? Those are all the things we're going to discuss today. So we start in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9. And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elijah, Ask, what may I do for you before I'm taken away from you? Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So I want you to remember first what happened right before Elijah was taken to heaven in the chariots of fire. He asked Elisha, what shall I do for you? This is what we just read here. He's about to go up. I mean, they're literally minutes from this whirlwind of fire and a tornado of fire and this supernatural chariot taking Elijah up into heaven. And he asks, what shall I do for you? And this verse shows us a supremely important lesson. When Elisha answers and he says, I just want a double portion of your spirit, we see that humility is the key. Humility is what's so important. It's the soft ground that the spirit grows in like a plant. It's the empty cup that the spirit can fill. Elisha is demonstrating humility. He knows that there's no way that he can do what he has seen Elijah do for the past 10 years. I mean, Elijah has been literally raising people from the dead and causing, you know, uh, famines. And he's been calling fire down from heaven. (coughs) All kinds of wacky stuff. Supernaturally amazing stuff. And Elisha knows there's no way I can do that. Even if I'm called to do it, there's no way I can do it without, without some amazing help. And we call that amazing grace. It's God's help. It's the engine to the car. Elisha knows that he's weak, that he's insufficient, that he's unfit to serve God in this way. But he's, he's willing but not able. 
as we heard Jesus say, the flesh is willing, but the spirit is weak in us. A lot of us want to serve God. We want to do what's right. But how to do it, we don't find. So Elisha did what a humble person does, and that is he asked. He asked. And that is very hard for some of us. How many of you hate asking for things? Well, the Lord gets us into these situations in life where you have no choice but to ask for help, right? And we hate it because we've grown up in America where we shouldn't ask for help because that's un-American. You know, look at my belt buckle. I have what I need. I'm a man. I'm an American. I don't need you. I don't need anybody else. And that is the opposite of what God is trying to develop in our life. We took independence in the Garden of Eden. We took that fruit and said, I don't need you, God, to tell me what to do with my fruit. And now we've taken that and it infected all of us. We don't want God to tell us what to do about anything. And God didn't make us to be like that. He designed us to be dependent on him, to live in fellowship with him, for him to be our father, us to be his children, and to be in one in communion and relationship. And we rebel against it. We hate it from the deepest part of us. We hate it. Every single one of us hates it. And so the fact that Elisha, he comes along here and he's just like, I'm, I'm going to ask for help because I'm not, I, I recognize I'm not what I need to be. He humbled himself, acknowledged his need and his weakness, and that is the number one greatest need for every single one of us in here today. All of us. Acknowledge your need and weakness. Will God help someone who doesn't ask him for help? No, he won't. He, he's sovereign, but he has set up a sovereign way. He says, if you ask, I'll respond. Ask me, seek me, knock, and what? The door will be opened to you. Elisha knew that the power was in the spiritual realm he understood that there wasn't anything physical Elijah was doing. Elijah wasn't coming up with a way to make a famine. He wasn't a scientist. He was praying. God was answering his prayers. And so Elisha knew that there was a spiritual thing he needed. So he just asked for the spirit. Kind of encompasses all of it. That's where he needed help. I want to show you a verse in Zechariah. Now, we studied as a, as a church a long time ago on Wednesday nights. Remember when we did Wednesday nights over at Grace? Well, we studied the book of Zechariah, and we looked a lot at this verse. But in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, we saw this verse, which becomes kind of like a key to understanding how God works in our life. And, and it's something, even though Zechariah came later, he, it shows what he, how the Lord desires to work in our life. And it says in Zechariah 4, 6, Then he answered, and said to them, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And then the next verse, verse 7. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. And this is such an amazing verse because this was spoken at a time where they, had to, they were coming back from captivity. They had been sent out by the Lord for their disobedience and their idolatry from Israel. And they're coming back to Israel now after 70 years. And God is saying, I'm gonna, I want you, Zerubbabel, to build the temple again so people can know me, have a relationship with me. And Zerubbabel's like, yeah, right, this is impossible. 
the temple is so big and I have no ability, I have no knowledge, I can't do it. So what do I need? I need help. And, 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 and the prophet Zechariah comes to his rubble and says, hey, don't worry about it because it's not by might and it's not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. If I want to accomplish something, God says, I don't care how strong you are. I don't care how weak you are and I don't care how hard you try. I care about one thing, my spirit in you. My spirit empowering you. That's what this is about. So in verse 7, the prophet goes on and he gives him a little illustration. He says, who, he asks a question, who are you, O great mountain? See, Zerubbabel was in trouble because the place he was supposed to build the temple had a big mountain there. They had destroyed the previous temple and covered it with dirt and debris and it was a mountain of trash. And Zerubbabel was like, how am I going to deal with this city of Denver? I mean, this, this trash that I have to live with, that I have to deal with, that I have to minister to. Well, he says, who are you, O great man? Before Zerubbabel, you should become a plain, a plain and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. This is where God connects his spirit and the power of his spirit with the word grace. Grace. He says, you're going to do it, Zerubbabel. I'm going to equip you to do it. I'm going to enable you to do it. And all you're going to say at the end, you're going to shout, grace, grace. I didn't do any of this. God enabled me. God did it for me. That's what's going to happen, God says. Well, in James chapter 4, verse 6, we fast forward hundreds of years. Jesus comes, Jesus dies, Jesus, and then God establishes the church. And James, he says in James 4, 6, he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So grace and the Holy Spirit are basically the same thing. He gives grace. He gives the Spirit. To who? To who? Say it like you mean it. The humble. To the humble. God gives his power to mere men, but not any men. Not just anyone. God, you could say, has favorites. And I'm not saying that in a rude way or a mean way, but God has a character trait that he demands, and that is humility. You must realize and know that God looks upon pride and arrogance with hatred, because that's what caused Satan to mess up this whole thing in the first place. It's that rebellion of the heart that says, I, I will not give control. I will not ask for your help, God. I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and maybe I do want to serve you. And I'll, If I do, I'm going to do it out of my own strength and my own talents, my own abilities. And God says, no, I will resist you. Do you want God to be on your bad side, resisting you, your enemy? Of course not. And he says the clear way this happens, humility, is that's who I bless with grace and my spirit. God's very life given to dead men. It's the love of God poured into our hearts. Are you normal? Are you dead? Do you have a thirst in your heart for something more? I think that's pretty normal, actually. Then you qualify for this work of God. You can hope 
in grace or in God's Holy Spirit. You can. You can depend on it for your life as well. That's this, um, the way this works is so incredible. He sets up a system called the New Covenant where he says, if you're empty and if you're broken, if you don't have it all together, you're the person I'm looking for. And I have something for you that I will give you. It's my promise. If you'll just humble yourself to what? Ask. Like Elisha did. In Romans 5.5, 5, he says, now hope, we can hope in this promise. We can depend on it. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the what? Holy Spirit who was given to us. The hope connected with the grace, connected with the Holy Spirit. It's all one thing. The only way we can be of any value to God is if we'll humble ourselves to receive his spirit. But if we humble ourselves to receive, receive his spirit, then we have a hope that does not disappoint. It always works. It never fails. And I love that about it because our deep need is it must be felt. You must know how much you need God. You must feel it. We have to be fully convinced of how, we need, how much we need Jesus because if we're not, then what we have is a root of pride. That's the only thing that insulates us from this feeling of need is our pride where we say, God, I don't need your grace. I don't need you that much. It's pride, and God will not give you grace. He will resist until you're broken enough to receive it with open hands. Lord, help me. I'm done trying to do it on my own. I'm done with who I've been, and I'm ready to just receive your Holy Spirit. When we have determined and we have calculated that we have nothing to offer in and of ourselves, then we just combine that humility with one thing, and what's that? Faith. H and F. F and H, as BK says. We could state it like this. What is required of man, what is required of the man of God to receive special help and the power of the Holy Spirit, what's the, what is required for us to receive the Holy Spirit? We ask ourselves that question. How do, you could phrase it like this. How do we receive grace? Well, it's humility and faith. What does our humility look like? Well, our story is going to tell us here, Elisha's humility. So let's look at that for today. Because we could talk forever and ever and ever about humility. We talk about it almost every week. And I'm sure you're bored of it. But we're going to see from this story, Elisha demonstrates two great things for us uh, of how we receive this grace and uh, what humility and faith look like. So verse 8 now is where we're at. Now Elijah took his mantle. Remember, that was the, the little cape or cloak that Elisha, that signified he was the prophet of God. He took it, and Elisha took his mantle, rolled it up, and struck the water, and divided it this way and that. So the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And so it was, when they had crossed over, that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what May I do for you before I am taken away from you? And Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit come upon me. So he said, You have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be done for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Crossing the Jordan River is a picture of death. 
death. And death for us is our first picture of how we get this help from God. Elisha needs what Elijah has, so they go through the Jordan River, which pictures the first thing you have to have, death or humility. We've already kind of tackled that. The Jordan speaks of death all throughout Scripture. So the servant of Jesus, if you want to serve Jesus, you have to die in humility to yourself. Exactly. This is the way of humility. All self-pleasing, all self-seeking, all self-sufficiency. They die. We see that in this first picture. They go through the Jordan, pictures his death. Now, the next thing he says, okay, you've asked a hard thing, but I'll give you the help, the supernatural help, the spirit. I'll give it to you if you see me, Elijah says, when I'm taken up. That means you have to keep your eyes on the master. And that pictures for us faith. Humility pictured first, faith pictured second, so beautiful for us. He must be the only one you look at. That's another great definition of faith. Is Jesus the only one you're looking at? Or are you, are you looking at yourself a little bit? Then it, the amount you look at yourself in him determines where your faith is at. Are you, you got, I got some faith in myself. I got some faith in Jesus. Well, Jesus says, stop. You will fail. I won't. I'm here for you. You got to keep your eyes on me. If you don't, I can't help you. How can I give you something if you're not here to get it from me? That's what he's saying here. It's about this relationship. Looking at Jesus pictures a relationship that's dependent, that has dependency as its root. I need you, God. I depend on you. Why? How could I not seek you today? Because I need you. And this reminds us of, reminds us of Hebrews 12:2, which says, looking unto Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and when he had sat down at the right hand on the throne of God. So it's just saying that when we keep our eyes on Jesus, what he did on the cross and who he is now up in heaven, ruling and reigning, when we look unto him, it builds our faith. It actually is faith when we look at him. So these two ideas of death and looking to Jesus are equal to humility and faith. And they're brought together perfectly for us in Galatians 2.20, which you guys know, we've studied Galatians, but in Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. What's that? Death. Death to self, right? It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Same two ideas brought together, humility and faith or death and looking unto Jesus. We'll keep expanding those ideas for the next 40, 50 years. So if you want to keep coming to church, this is probably what we're going to talk about. If you want the Holy Spirit to use you, humility and faith are the requirements. They're the keys. It's, there's nothing else. Now, you're like, I thought we were going to talk about the first miracle. Well, we're going to get there now. So we're going to get the, to the first miracle of Elisha itself right now. Right now. I've been holding you off, but can't hold you off anymore. So we get to verse 12 in chapter 2. Then, and Elisha saw it. He saw uh, the, Elijah go up into heaven in the, um, the, the chariot of fire. 
and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more. And, and just to explain what he's saying there, he's saying, my father, my father, because he's loved him. He spent 10 years being connected with him, so he's, he's heartbroken. And he says the chariot of, of Israel and its horsemen because Israel had a hard time at this point in its history with idolatry and trusting in other nations. So they trusted in Egypt, and God specifically told them, stop trusting in Egypt and in their chariots and in their horsemen. So what he's saying here is that I know that you were the hope of Israel. Now, we're going to see at the end of Elisha's life that all the people call him the chariots and the horsemen of the Lord. It's pretty cool, but we'll get into that later. So he saw him no more. And then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. Why? Because he loved him. He's, he's heartbroken. Verse 13, so also he took up the mantle of Elisha, Elijah that had fallen from, the, from him, and he went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. So right away, he goes back to the Jordan River. And then he took the mantle from, of Elijah that had fallen from him, and he struck the water, and he said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, it divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. So again, we see Elisha heartbroken, and that's the timing of this miracle. He's, he's got a broken heart. He's sad his master is gone. He isn't immune to having a bad day. And guess what? If you are having a bad day, that's okay. That, that's not a bad day to search, search out the Lord, to seek the Lord. It's not a bad day to see what the Lord has for you. In fact, I've seen that a lot of times in my life, my bad days were the days that God moved most powerfully in my life. Yeah. Where I learned that there was more to life than what I had been hoping in. I remember one day a girl broke up with me, you know, in high school. And I remember crying in the car. Oh, I'm so crying. And I remember telling the Lord, I was, I was driving that Subaru, that 81 Subaru hatchback. And I'm, not, I'm looking through tears. And I'm driving through. And I just remember saying, Lord, I only want to follow you because I know you won't break my heart like that. I remember that. I was, in like, I was like a sophomore in high school or something like that. It was a big deal day for me. I don't, it was, so there's a little glimpse into my life. Elijah Elisha is having a bad day. So what does he do? He goes into his room and cries and plays Xbox all day. No, he doesn't. If you're having a bad day, don't isolate yourself. That's dumb. Call a brother and sister and say, let's get some coffee. Hey, would you, call, would you just pray with me? Help me come back out of this funk and, and trust into the Lord because I'm having a bad day. And that's okay. Bad days are from the Lord too. So Elisha needs to get to his friends. Elisha, he's got some friends, but his friends are on the other side of the Jordan River, and he can't swim, and he doesn't have a boat. Okay. And the Jordan River is huge. This is really miraculous. So he goes straight to the river, and he stands by the bank. He looks at his problem straight in the face. He says, I got a problem. Jordan River, you are my problem. He goes and stands right there. He doesn't minimize it or brush it under the rug. He doesn't say, well, let me just, like, you're not that big of a river or anything. No. He just says, you're a problem. I'm going to deal with this. God brings us huge problems to test and see what faith we have. Okay? Why did God put a Jordan River right here? 
that Elisha had to cross. Why did God do that? Why didn't God just put a little babbling brook that Elisha could walk across and just get his ankles wet? No, he needed something that would kill Elisha if he tried to do it in his own strength. <laughs> How many times has God brought you something you couldn't do, but you tried to do it on your own, and you ended up, I give up. Serving God, trying to do what God wants me to do is too much. I am done. I'm done going to church. I'm done reading my Bible. Do you know why the Bible's hard to understand? Because God says you can't understand it unless you have my Holy Spirit. You have to humble yourself and ask for my help before you can understand it. Now, when he gives you his Holy Spirit, can you understand it? Oh my gosh, more than understand it. It, it, it explodes in your brain and in your heart as you read it. You're like, oh my goodness, what? How did I miss this before? And the answer is you were dead. You didn't have his help. The Bible for us could be like this river. I don't know what your river is, but the Lord brings a lot of rivers right in front of you that are impossible to cross. Now, what Elisha did is he used the mantle that was Elijah's for this miracle. That's the thing he used. When the mantle floated down at his feet, he knew that God had answered his request for a double portion of the Holy Spirit. So now he is tested as to whether he will use it or not. Solomon, he asked for wisdom. Remember, God said, hey, I like you, Solomon. What do you want? And Solomon said, I want wisdom. And God was really super happy with that. And God said, hey, I'll give you wisdom. And because you didn't ask for riches or the lives of your enemies, I'll give you all that too, and you'll just have a great life. And, and immediately after Solomon asked for the wisdom, what happened? He was tested. Two women came. They said, they're, 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 uh, it was really bad. And, and they said, we were going to, we boiled my son to eat it and we ate him. And then today we were supposed to boil her son. And it was a bad deal. And, and they said, no, it's my son. No, it's my son. And it was all bad. And, and, wisdom, and, and the wisdom that Solomon had asked for, he didn't know if God had given it to him, but he, he put it to the test. And by faith, he said, cut it in half. And as they were about to do it, the real woman said, no, 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 let him live. You can let, let her have him. Solomon's wisdom won the day, and they found out who the right mom was, and they gave it that. So it was tested right away. God said, yes, I'll give you wisdom. Here's a test. Are you going to use the wisdom I give you? Remember Jesus. He received the Holy Spirit when he was baptized. And what happened? Immediately, he was driven into the desert to be tempted and tested by Satan. Remember that? So, if and when God answers your prayer and your request to be filled with the Holy Spirit, what are you going to do? Be a lazy American? Sit on your couch? Or are you going to serve him with the Holy Spirit? Are you going to share the gospel? Are you going to serve with all your life and all your heart? Are you going to give it to him? Because he's not just doling out the Holy Spirit to people who don't really want to use it. So here's the, the intense question for you guys today. Are you willing to give your life if you receive power from on high? Are you willing to shut down some of your things so you can serve the Lord more.
There's a lot of opportunities to serve the Lord. A lot. And there's not as much willingness as there is Holy Spirit to go around. We have the Holy Spirit. I'll tell you today, we're going to pray today for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But I don't know what you're going to do when you walk out these doors. Are you going to still treat your wife like an idiot? Are you still going to be mean to your kids? Are you still going to be an idiot at your job? Are you still going to spend your evenings doing just what you want? Or are we going to say, I'm all in for what God has for me? God has a city out here for us to witness to. And this is a hard city to reach. They think they're okay. And we bring a message saying, you're not okay, but God loves you and he's got salvation that he's offering. But are we going to go out and do it? Are you going to talk to your friends, your enemies at work? That's our, a big question today. Elisha used the mantle. He didn't <laughs> idolize it. He didn't put it up on his, on his mantle. I totally just came up with that right now. That was awesome. That was so awesome. (laughs) I just cracked myself up so bad right there. That was awesome. (laughs) He didn't look at how... How did I not come up with that earlier? I think that was like just right there. Okay. He didn't look and see how pretty it was. No, he took this thing that symbolized for him God's answer to prayer and he smacked around some stuff with it. He smacked around some stuff that was in the way. He said to the river, get out of my way. He said to the mountain, be cast into the sea. In fact, he did only the exact same thing that he saw his master do like 15 minutes ago. Do you remember that? Elijah just did this right before he asked him the question. Elisha is just saying, all right, I guess that's what we do now. He walked with his master for 10 years, showing that he was filled with the Spirit. But now a second, double portion of that Spirit has come upon him and has empowered him for ministry. He is equipped for doing crazy stuff now, for serving people, for being what people need. God knows you don't just need (laughs) physical things. God knows this city doesn't just need bread and food. They need spiritual miracles. We're looking at the miracles of Elisha because I want to see him in our life today. And I don't care about rivers being parted, honestly. What is the spiritual meaning of this? Here it is. It's victory over death. He walked with his master for these 10 years, but now he's filled with a second filling of the Holy Spirit. And his ministry looks surprisingly a lot like his master's ministry because he parts the Jordan River exact same way. Here's the lesson for us. If you want to be used by the Lord, let Jesus be the pattern from your ministry, for your ministry. There's an incredible book about this called The Jesus Style by Gail Irwin, and I highly recommend it to anyone who wants to get it. It's free online. You can get the audio version of it. Just go to... Just search the Jesus style on Google, and Google will help you out. So Elisha split these waters and walked over on dry land. 
the God of Elijah showed up and proved that he was with Elisha and he would reward Elisha's faith with this supply of the Holy Spirit. Why did God put this in the Bible? What does it all mean for us today in 2016 in Denver, Colorado? 80222. Well, the Jordan, as we've said, pictures what? Death. And it's funny that three times in the Bible, the Jordan is supernaturally parted by God. And what's really crazy, I believe that this pictures the three victories over death that are experienced by God's people. Number one, Jesus was raised from the dead. Number two, the church is raised from spiritual death to spiritual life. And number three, the resurrection of our future bodies, that we will experience a real physical future resurrection. There will be a resurrection. And so Elisha said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? What was he doing? I think he was asking for proof that God was with him too. He went straight to the Jordan to find his proof. He went to the most impossible thing he could think of, death, to find his proof. Here's a question. Do you want to see God work in your life? Do you want proof that God is going to do all that he said he would do? Go to the Jordan in your life today. I want you to go there. I want you to check out the grave that Jesus was buried in. And you know what you'll find? It's empty. I've been there. Been to Jerusalem. You guys been there? Anyone else been there? Okay, boom, boom. Been to Jerusalem. Seen the garden tomb. It is bone dry, empty right now. And what that tells us is that Jesus had victory over death. They buried him there. He is alive. The one rule that no one can break in all this world that we live in is everybody dies and pays taxes, right? You die. That is the thing that you know, and you know, and you know, and I know, and even the littlest kid to the, everybody knows that's the one thing that always happens. And so it's the one place where God starts doing his miracles and said, no, no, not Jesus. Jesus could die, but he can't stay dead because he didn't sin. And he was furthermore equipped to take all of our sin into his body, then let himself be killed so that our sin is literally dead and gone forever in the grave, and Jesus was able to rise up in newness of life. And all that sin is gone and done away with. Everyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ alone has that victory over death. Check out that first parting of the Jordan. It's pretty awesome. Now, check out the second parting of the Jordan, the life of the church. Go check out the church. A bunch of goobers that were living horrible lives. And Jesus saved us, forgave us. And now, as you observe them, their lives are alive and filled with love and good works. And are they perfect? No, but there's a lot of examples of life and love and changed lives 
Their lives are no longer conquered by death and the death of rebellion, but they are alive with love and good works. It's real. It's a huge proof for us. It's proof that God's promise is not only to forgive you in Christ, but to use your life now for God's glory. God wants to partner with us for his kingdom here on earth, and that's why he has the church here. He wants people to be loved. He wants the poor to be taken care of, and he says it's the church's responsibility to do those things. And, and he wants people taught about his word. All this new life, look at the church. Observe it and see if that's not the conclusion you come to. And then third, check out the resurrection in the future. It's going to happen, just as the Bible said it will. And it proves that God will wipe away every single trace of the curse that has been placed on his children by our own rebellion and our own disobedience. Our story is one of rebelling, always rebelling against God's control and God's love and God's guidance. And his story is that he's always fixing it. He did it with Israel. He did it before that even. He's always going to continue it. And the resurrection is his final fixing. Even our bodies that right now we will die. We will all get sick and we will all die. But that's not the end. Because even our bodies that are subject right now to the curse are going to be resurrected with no sickness in Christ. If you have faith in him today, he will resurrect your body faultless then. It's a great promise. Victory over death is a miracle, and here we see it's the first miracle. It's not only the first miracle of Elisha, it's the first miracle we understand and we experience It's the consequence of our first sin is that everyone dies. And so it's the first miracle that God accomplishes that you and everyone can be made alive. So we have these three examples of how God will have victory over death for us. God is literally throwing evidence and proof in your face. He's, he's proving to Elisha, he, is, he wants Elisha to have no doubt, yes, I'm going to be with you to do all these crazy things. And our job today is to engage with this victory over death miracle that has been done for us in front of other people so that they can see it and believe it as well. If you cross over the Jordan, if you engage with it and say, I have had Jesus forgive me because he rose from the dead and I am going to live a new life in Christ, he's going to raise me from the dead spiritually. And then I know in the future, and if you decide you want to live that life, other people are going to see it, they're going to notice, and they're going to be like, you're weird, but I kind of like it. (laughs) Other people are going to see it and they're going to believe. Our lives need to be miracle-centered. Not in a weird way, but in a very practical way, God loves doing this miracle. He's done it three times. He promises to do it anytime you ask. He wants to give spiritual life. We always need to be talking about this miracle, this victory over death. It's a huge ministry. Jesus rose from the dead. That's victory over death. The world can't copy that. Nobody has been raised from the dead in their own power. The church is living with this Holy Spirit and also the world doesn't have that. You know, we suffer, we go through things, we, we get cancer and we have joy and hope and it's like the world is like, that's weird. 
I don't understand. Because what is, how can you know? And we have that life where we're just like, I know. I know. And we're all going to rise again, that victory over death. These, when these are the topics of your conversation, you're going to be used by God to save sinners. Not condemn them. Save them. If you're talking about being raised from the dead, it doesn't matter what sin they've done. It doesn't matter what punishment they deserve. You're giving them life. You're saying, God loves you. It's awesome. Now we get to verse 15. Elisha has just gone through the Jordan River on dry land. And guess what? Some people were watching him. And in verse 15, it says, Now when the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed down to the ground before him. So both believers and unbelievers will see their own death and life. When, when they observe you and your, your victory over death, they're going to see that they, the life they're living is kind of like a sorry excuse for living. Like, what am I doing with my life? And they're going to run to the servant of God who lives with, with this constant victory over death and living in this life. And they, when you have no fear of dying, no fear of living our life for dead things, and no fear of our sins not being forgiven, this fearlessness that should infect the church is, in, is infectious also to the world around us. So what have we learned today? The first miracle to understand from Elisha's life is the Christian's victory over death. Okay? Crossing over the Jordan is a very important moment for all believers. It's a miracle that we can't serve God without. And I'm not talking about the first time when Elijah took Elisha over. That's when you get saved. That's when you realize, I'm, I'm done with my sin. I need to be forgiven. God makes you born again. But once the Lord goes up into heaven and he promises, I'll send you a helper from heaven in the Holy Spirit, it's, this is something, this, this second crossing over Jordan, that we need as believers more than anything today. It's a miracle that we can't serve God without. We die to ourselves. That's that first part. Our dreams, our desires, our plans, our ideas, our systems of how to live. And then God raises us up. He, he gives us a new life that's only through Jesus, only supplied through Jesus. He's all we live for. He's all we care about. He's the master and the supplier of everything that we need and have. We, and what is required of the servant to obtain this, this second blessing, this Holy Spirit baptism, you could call it, this double spirit, this power for service, what is required? BK, what's required? Right, man. Humility and faith. That's what Elisha teaches us today. The second blessing, the second filling of the Holy Spirit, the equipping for serving God that we need so much, it's so easy. In fact, it's free. And you do nothing except empty yourself of self-trust and instead trust God and his promises. 
You may have heard the term baptism of the Holy Spirit. Have you guys heard that term? It's, uh, it's tossed around a lot, and there's a lot of teaching on it. You could call it a spirit-filled life. You could call it the victorious Christian life. You could call it being filled with the Holy Spirit. You could call it new covenant living. You could call it grace. I don't care what you call it. You just need it. And there is some weird teaching out there about it. And, um, and we could debate about it and talk about it all day long. And that's fine. But, and I'm not here to, to fix any of that today. I'm just saying that you can't live life without it. Whatever it is, you better get it. And we've figured out today how to get it. How to get it. Humility and faith. This is what we're talking about, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I want to ask you a question. Where was Jesus baptized? Oh! That's right. What happened after Jesus was baptized? His spirit, and then he served God, right? Did Jesus do anything before that event? Basically nothing. He lived 30 years as just a humble servant, just living with his family, nothing special, okay? I mean, he had some good questions and stuff, but he wasn't doing miracles. Here, Jesus is baptized where? In the Jordan, showing us that this is required for all servants of God. We cannot serve God unless we share in the same filling that Jesus had. I was really bothered by the baptism of Jesus. I didn't understand it. Even this week, as I sat down to read, and I was reading in Matthew, sitting out in my back porch, and I was like, God, this doesn't make sense. Why, Jesus, did you need to be baptized? You didn't sin. So what do you need to repent of? And it bothers me. And the Lord, he just, he just showed me right here in such a clear way. He said, I didn't get baptized for me. I got baptized for you to show you how to live in all righteousness. Remember, John the Baptist asked him the question. said, why am I going to baptize you? You're Jesus. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus is like, no, I, we need to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And he wasn't talking about his own righteousness. He was talking about my righteousness. He want, how I am going to live righteous in this world and serve God is only by doing what Jesus did, being baptized and being filled with the Holy Spirit that Jesus was filled with. He was filled on that day. It was like a dove landing on him. He waited till his father filled him to begin ministry. He waited until the Jordan River in his life, till he could experience that miraculous Holy Spirit proof that he needed. He wasn't going to do it without proof. He wasn't going to step out and heal one person without proof that he had the Holy Spirit. Because that's, the way that God, that God works. Some of us in here today have never had this happen. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon us to equip us. So if you need instructions, I have some very vague instructions for you because God is not in a box and he doesn't work like that. You can't say, say this prayer and God will respond by saying, oh, they said the magic words. Here's the Holy Spirit. No. Basically, you need to come to Jesus alone. Jesus only. You need to ask for it. Believe that he'll give it. 
and then wait for it. Come to Jesus, ask for it, believe it, wait for it. While you're waiting, you can worship, pray, and read the Bible and come to church. Don't try to be out there and be commando for Jesus. Without the Holy Spirit, you will just be holding picket signs and telling people how much God hates them, and you're going to think you're saving God but doing a horrible job representing God to the world. You know who I'm talking about? Right. Well, yeah, say their name. There you go. Rep, no, it's cool. <laughs> Westboro. But. There it is, man. This, what we're talking about today is absolutely real. It's, it's not a joke. It's not a theory. It's a miracle that we need in here today, and we can have it. Who is going to stand up in their heart and say, where is the God of Elijah? Who's going to do that? Where is the God who promised me life over death? I'm going to die to myself, and I want to see God raise me up. It changes your life completely. And I want to ask, are you stuck in your, in your relationship with God? Is there a, a rut that you're in? This is the answer to any rut, no matter what it is. Are you weak? Is there a sin that just constantly tempts you? This is the only answer, guys. We don't have 10-step programs in the Bible to how, to how to have victory over sin. We have one step, die. Sin has so infected you, you need to die. And we do that spiritually. We die to ourselves and our trust in ourselves, and we look only to Jesus Christ and say, you have to save me, and I'm going to call upon you, I'm going to wait upon you, and I'm going to believe that you'll save me, and I'm going to sit here until you do it. And what is God's response to a humble child who comes to him? Man, every time, brother, every time. Is there any part of you that could be described as spiritually dead? Today, you can have life. The cool thing is I, God has somehow weirdly given me the authority to proclaim life to you. You can, you can take it. I'm proclaiming it. Take Jesus' life. Ask him for it. Wait upon him, and he will give it. Jesus will give you life. He will give you the power. He will give you the grace, and he will give you the Holy Spirit. You just got to throw yourself wholly at his feet. Say, I'm done. You got to raise that white flag. You come to Jesus, ask for it, believe it, wait for it, and you will receive it. Amen? Amen. Okay, guys, we're done. I know there was long and so much to take in, but it was very necessary, needful for us. So would you all stand with me? We're going to sing another song, and then we'll be done. Appreciate your patience, and I know it was long. It's actually five pages less notes today than last week. All right, so as we, as we uh, shift, we have the communion table is open. Um, and what that means is just during this song, if you want to, if you believe in Jesus and you would like to, to kind of symbolize your faith, if you want to do something to show that you believe in Jesus, you can go take communion. And what that is is you take the cracker, you chew it up, and you think about how Jesus' body was broken for you.
that he paid the price. He took your sin into his body, and his body was literally broken, bruised, nailed on a cross, and killed for your sin. And then you take the cup, you drink it down, symbolizing you believe that his new life is going to pour into you. And it's very symbolic of exactly what we talked about today, being filled with the Holy Spirit. So there, again, there is no magic formula to being filled with the Holy Spirit. You don't, I can't say that you need to be on your knees. I can't say you need to be in this position or have these thoughts or say these prayers. It's only a heart dependent on God and asking him that will receive the Holy Spirit. And maybe for you, that act of obedience is taking this cup and drinking it. It's just an act. It's not magic, but it shows where the heart can be. And if you don't want to do it, and if you don't believe, then don't come and take it, because God takes it very seriously. Father, we thank you for your love, and I thank you above all that Jesus Christ has brought victory over death into our life. And God, I know that right now I have the authority and the, the mission to just tell everyone in here that their sins can be forgiven and washed away by faith alone in Jesus Christ. If they would put their hope and trust and ask you to forgive them, you will respond with forgiveness. And that may not be felt. It may not be, uh, it might, it might not be a weird experience. It might just be an act uh, just of simple obedience and faith. And Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Jesus, give me life. I want to know you. I need you, Father. I need to be forgiven of my life of sin, and I want to know you as my master, my Lord, and my Savior. And anyone in here has the freedom to make that decision today, but we don't know if tomorrow is given to any one of us. So I would encourage you, implore you, to make that cry out today. And don't wait, because there's a lot of crazy drivers in Denver. And I'm not saying that I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying, you know. You know if Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart and you don't know when your last breath could be.